Good morning, church. Today's Bible reading is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 to 9. Again, that's Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 to 9. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children may, after them, may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your strength, with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk with them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Thus far the reading of God's word. Good morning, church. Can you guys hear me? Ah, there we are. It's on. <clears throat> what, do you, what do we want our children to be when they grow up? I'm going to ask that again. What do we want our children to be when they grow up? This is one of the questions that we ask ourselves, especially if we're parents. Very important question to ask. There was a survey conducted in the United States by the Pew Research Center called Parenting in America Today. And in this survey, they uh, polled thousands of parents across the United States. And one of the questions that they asked was that, in so many words, what do you want your children to become when they grow up? There are many answers to that question. And what the study did was they grouped the answers into categories and uh, spat out, you know, the top six, okay? The first thing that the respondents said was important to them, very important to them, or, you know, important, important to them was this, that their children be honest and ethical. That's very good. The second one that uh, 88% of parents said was extremely important or very important to them was that their kids, when they're grown up, to be hardworking. That's also very good. And then next, parents want their children, when they're grown up, to be someone who helps others in need. Also, that's very good. And then they want their children to be accepting of people who are different from them, you know, inclusive, compassionate, and kind. And then they want their children to be ambitious. Okay, when we ask that question, what do your children, what do you want your children to be when they grow up? That's the first thing that we default to is what, what their career, you know, what, what is their career going to be like? Okay, but here's the last one. Parents, there's only like 17% who said that this is extremely important to them and 9, 18% very important to them that 
their children have similar religious beliefs to their own. It's interesting that in that study, this is conducted in 2021, okay? In this study in the States, which is, you know, in my mind, more religious than we are here in Canada, only about a third of the parents there believe that, or want, wanted their children to have similar religious beliefs to their own. Okay, so in, in a way, only 35% of them wanted to really, you know, maybe sought to pass on their, their faith to, to their children, to the next generation. Now, in our scripture reading today that was read by Eric, it is very evident that God wants the opposite of this for his people. Okay, God wants the bottom thing in there, like, have, you know, our kids having our faith to be at the top. God wants us to prioritize that, you know, for ourselves as parents and in our families. And um, we know this because in in Deuteronomy six one to three, that's what that's what that's what Moses did. That's what God through Moses did. But before that, our scripture reading is in Deuteronomy. So a little bit of background. So Deuteronomy is the fifth book in the Old Testament. Okay, it's very old. And it talks about the history of ancient Israel. So about 40 years before this, we will remember that God had delivered Israel from bondage, from slavery, from Egypt. So from Egypt, so I'm going to put it here because it's from uh, west to east, right? So from Egypt, God through Moses led them to go into the desert to the promised land which is now modern-day Palestine, and Canaan at the time, but now modern-day Palestine. That was the promised land that God said he will give to Israel at some point. But this is it right here. This is the time when they were going to occupy the promised land. So 40 years before this, 40 years ago at this time, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1, the people of Israel had the opportunity to possess the promised land. Do you guys remember that? Do you remember, you know, Moses sent out spies? Do you remember what the spies came back with? You know, when God said, I'm going to give them something, it doesn't really mean that they're just going to hand it over to you. Like, you know, like, it's a partnership. Remember that, right? God has his part. We have our part. That's why it's a covenant. It's a formal relationship between us and God. We trust him. And we do things for him, for his glory and for his honor. We don't just sit down and twiddle our, our thumbs, Right? It's, 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 uh, it's something that we, that God has given us to do. So God said, I'm, I'm, I'm giving it to you. Just conquer it. So they go over there and they go, oh, we can't do it. Because there's giants over there. We're much smaller than these guys. And if we conquered it, I know God said it, but if we do it, we're going to lose. But there's only two people there that said, yeah, we can do it. Caleb and Joshua, I remember that. But they were overpowered by the majority. So they said, no, we're not doing it. So what does God say to them? He said, well, I'm giving it to you, but you don't want it. So this is the consequence. You're going to wander the desert for 40 years. Okay, you're going to die there, but your kids are going to go in because you don't want to. You don't want to go. The next generation after you, they're going to be able to go. That's the thing. Now we're here. So Moses is about to die. He's really old. I think he's like 120 years old at this time. They were getting ready to get to go into the promised land because the 40 years of wandering in the desert was over. They're getting ready to cross the Jordan and take over the land. Now, Moses, being a good leader, he wants to set up his people for success. He wants to encourage them and prepare them 
to really thrive in the promised land. So if you were Moses, what would you tell the people of Israel to prepare them to go into the, the promised land? Well, this is what Moses did, okay? Verse 1. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. So what Moses did was he repeated or reiterated the commandments, decrees, and laws to the people of Israel. The terms of the, co- the covenant between them and between God. So that they can observe it. So that they can remember it and actually do it. Okay? That's why the book of Deuteronomy is so-called Deuteronomy. From the Greek deutero, meaning second. Nomos being law. Deuteronomion. Deuteronomy meaning second law. But it's not really a second law because it's just a repeated law from what God has given them to them already, right? He repeats the law to them. Why would he repeat the law to them? This is the reason why. So that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy long life. What's the reason? So that they will fear the Lord, generational faith, right? And so that they may enjoy long life. Okay, and then he reiterates this. He he says this in a different way in verse 3. Hear Israel and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you. He's saying them to this so that when they go to Canaan, occupy the land, it's going to go well with them. Okay, and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors promised you. Now, let's not miss the big point here. All of this is going on. But really the big point that Moses wants to really convey to them is that when he, stand, when he was standing there talking to the new generation of Israelites that are about to occupy the land, okay, because their rebellious parents, untrusting parents have passed on, have died, now they're ready to occupy. The big point that Moses is trying to make is this is not just for you guys. This is for you, your children, and your children after you. This is multi-generational. Do you guys get that? So what Moses is saying to them here in Deuteronomy 6 is that he's calling them to generational faithfulness. Not just them, but the children, their children and the children after them. But now the question is this. How does God through Moses expect the people of Israel to do this? How are they supposed to get into passing on this generational faith to their kids? Well, that is the beauty of our Heavenly Father, right? This is so important to Him that He does not leave the people of Israel in the dark going, well, how do I do this? God, through Moses, gave them a blueprint, to generational faithfulness. And this blueprint we're very familiar with. It was read here, and we've seen this before. And in, in, in the world today, this is so very popular, especially with uh, uh, many of the Jewish people. Okay, This is the blueprint that God gave the people of Israel to follow towards generational faithfulness. The Shema. Do you guys remember the Shema? We've talked about this before. That word Shema is literally that word here. In Hebrew... Shema is here. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. 
These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Okay, we'll stop there at this time. But this was so important to God. And this was so important to the people of Israel, even today, that you know what they do with this? I know this because I had friends in Montreal that are Jewish. I go to their house. They, they recite this in the morning and at night. And every time we ate, I ate with them. This is what they prayed. I didn't know what they were saying because it was in Hebrew. All I remember was, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. I remember that because I, I, I read that. I, I, they, they made me memorize that. That's hero Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. But this is what they were reciting every single time. Important to them, it is also important to us today. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Is this call that God made to Israel is the same call that he does with us today. He calls us to generational faithfulness. Why do we say that? This is the Old Testament. He doesn't say that to us. It's it's the Old Testament, Jay. It's not new. It's not, yes. But remember what Jesus said the greatest commandment was? Remember that? He didn't make it up. When, when one of the people, one of the scribes asked Jesus, out of the 613 commandments, which one is the best? He didn't make it up. He quoted this in Matthew 22, in Mark 12, Luke 10. He said, the greatest commandment is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He added mind in there, but it's really the same thing. And the second is like it. Leviticus 19.18. He drew from Leviticus and said, the second is like it. Love, love your neighbor as yourself. These, there's no other commandment greater than these. Because these is the hook where all the commandments hang. Love is, that we sang the greatest commands. That is, that is, all of the commandments are, are given to us so that we can express our love for God and our love for others. This is it. This is enjoined to us by Jesus Christ in the greatest commandment. This is for us. And so the call to general faithfulness, generational faithfulness, this today is more commonly known as family discipleship. Okay? But just a little background on this. You guys remember that this year we're focusing on spiritual growth. That's our congregational focus for 2024. Okay? Spiritual growth has an objective. It has a purpose. The purpose and objective of spiritual growth is Christ-likeness. The reason why we need to grow is because God desires that we become like Jesus. That we are conformed, that we become conformed to the image of His Son. That doesn't happen overnight. It happens over time. We need to grow into that. God calls us to become like Jesus. And when we're becoming like Jesus... Like the, the way I understand this for myself is, you know, you guys know what I struggle with the most. I struggle with impatience and anger in my life. You guys understand that about me. To me, this is one of the things that I think about every single time when I want to grow. I want to be more patient today than I was yesterday. Maybe just by 1%. My kids know that. My wife knows that. You guys know that. I'm open about that because you know what? Guilt has been taken away from me by Jesus on the cross. I say this to you because this is my, my work in his, in, in, in his kingdom, is to encourage you. And I can do that with my own example. Okay? So um, maybe I can be patient by just 1% every day. I know that I'm growing. 
Now, when I'm, when we're growing, right, to become more and more like Jesus, that means we're following Jesus. And when we follow Jesus, it means that we are His disciples. Right? And we just made the connection between growing and discipleship right there, right? Growing, becoming like Jesus, becoming like Jesus, you're a follower of Jesus, and you're a disciple. And your discipleship is your following. It's that whole process of following Jesus. Now, we're just talking about doing this with our family. We're talking about facilitating this for our children. So that they too can find and follow Jesus. They too can put on Christ at some point in their life. So that they can become like Jesus. That is what God's intent is for the world. Because he wants to recreate or regenerate that image that he has in all of us. That's how we grow. Now, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at this particular passage in front of us, and we're going to look at the three things that Moses commanded the people of Israel to do so that they can go on their way to generational faithfulness, so that they can disciple their family into the love of God. Okay? Again, What's good for the people of Israel at that time when this was written is good for us today. So we can see the, the, the lessons that we're going to draw from, from, from the lessons that they drew. It's, we're also going to draw today in our time. The first thing that Moses tells them to do is to hear. Hear. Well, what are they supposed to hear? They're supposed to hear this. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is a very famous line. This is the Jewish confessional of old. And again, they still do that every single day. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Why is this important? What does that even mean? Well, this thing does two things. I mean, this line is so pregnant with so much spiritual truth that's crucial and foundational to our faith that... This, it starts here. Generational faithfulness begins here with God. With who He is and with who He is to us. This is what it's saying. This verse, this particular line in the rectangle there, tells us two things. Who God is and who, who He is to us. First, who is, who is God? See, a lot of times when we say the Lord is one, people are, people are divided, especially scholars. They're divided about what this means, okay? So they're thinking, there's two camps pretty much. Some scholars believe that the Lord is one means that he is just singular. There's one of him. There's not two of him. There's not three of him. There's not four or five. There's only one God. But on the other camp, it's saying, well, it's actually saying that for the Israelites, God is their only God. There there may be many gods over there. But as for the Israelites, there's only one God. And I want to illustrate this, 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 these two types of explanations with the versions of the Bible. Okay? So, for example, in the NIV, it says this, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So it's saying here that there's only one God. But in the NRSV, it says, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. It's saying that there's many gods out there, but for us, the people of Israel, it's, it's, it's God. But the thing is, it's both true. 
with these two versions, it shows us the two things that are very important for us to understand when we say, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. First, right? The Lord is one. He's, he's the only one. There's not two of them. There's not three of them. We understand today in the Christian dispensation that this one God is composed of three persons. It's hard for us to understand that, but Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're one God. Okay? They're one God. That is who He is. He is the same God as the God of Abraham, God of Jacob, the God of the forefathers. It's this God. It's the same God who did all these mighty works, who drew them out of Israel, who parted the Red Sea in front of them, who gave them manna in the desert. It's this God. But they have to understand as well that they can just know that there's this God. You know how the people from Egypt, the people, there are the different kings from the different countries, they understand that the God of the Israelites are a, is a powerful God, but they don't connect themselves with this God. Now that's the second point that's very important to understand. That this powerful God, this one true God of the universe, is their God. They associate themselves with this God. He is our God, the Lord alone. They have a relationship with this God. And the thing is, when, when, back then when they said, when they, when they called them to hear, Moses doesn't just say, just listen up. No. The word here means, pay attention with the intent of obeying. That's what it means. So, this call that Moses is calling them to do, has this obedience component to it. That, yes, there's this God of the universe that's amazing, but we're not distant from this God. We align ourselves with this God because He is our God and He is our only God. We have a relationship with Him. Okay? We have a relationship with Him. I don't want to have any other, any other gods but Him. That is the call of obedience that Moses is looking at. That's the first thing. Now, the second thing, Moses draws upon that relationship that they need to have with God. They know who God is, but they need to understand who God is with, who God is to them. To them, they need to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. We've seen that passage many times before. We understand that it means it's the whole of the individual. Mind, uh, uh, heart, soul, strength. Jesus Christ adds mind, but it's the same thing. It's all of who you are. Your emotions, your knowledge, your intellect, your reason, your will, your volition, your hopes and dreams, your whole body, everything is there directed towards God. It means a wholehearted devotion to the one and only true God. Wholehearted, not half-hearted. Half-hearted devotion means you have reservations. You have hesitations. Half-hearted means you have this belief. You have this thing that you proclaim to people that you believe. But then when they're not looking, you do something else entirely differently. Half-hearted means... Um, you, uh, you, you know what, you, you know what, uh, you need to do, but then you, you're saying, you know what, mm, I, I don't really want to do it. 
You just go through the motions. It's formal legalism instead of actually understanding what you, what you need to do and knowing in your heart that you want to do it. That's half-hearted. Moses tells them, don't do any of that. Give everything to God. Be wholehearted instead of half-hearted. Because if, if you're half-hearted, you're going to look at the Word of God and you're going to look at it, you're going to read it, you're going to go, instead of actually doing it, the first thing that's going to come to mind is this. Well, there's some exceptions to that. You're going to be focused on exceptions instead of actually just doing what it actually says. That's half-hearted devotion to God. Now, the psalmist understood this. That's why in Psalm 86, verse 11, he, he, he write, the psalmist writes, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart. You see that? Give me that singleness of heart. Don't give me... I don't want this half-hearted thing. I want a whole heart to fear your name. You see that? That is what Moses is trying to tell the people of Israel. Now, we're pretty much done the second point of our lesson. We only have one more. And remember, we're talking about generational faithfulness, right? We haven't even mentioned children yet. We've talked about who God is and our understanding of who God is. We talked about who He is to us and our relationship with God. But we haven't talked about generation, we haven't talked about children yet. Where are they in the picture? Now I'm saying that because it's so important for us to understand this part, this very crucial information that we see in scripture, in the biblical record. Because when we think about generational faith, the first thing that comes to my mind at least, I don't know about you, is, well, God wants me to disciple my children. So the next question that I ask is this, what should they do? What should I get them to do so that they they become Christians one day. When we have that as our first question, we've totally blown this out of the water. Like this is not, this is not the first place where we should go. Generational faithfulness starts with us. It starts with my understanding of who God is and my relationship with Him. Generational faithfulness starts with me growing. If I am not growing in my love for God, do you think my kids would, will grow in, my, in their love for God? If I have a half-hearted devotion to God, how can I expect my kids to have a whole-hearted devotion to God? If I want my kids to love God with all their heart, soul, and strength, that means I need to first love my Lord, my God, with all my heart, soul, and strength. Do you guys see that? This is very important. That's why Moses in verse 6 says, These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. And it's only after that that he says, Impress them on your children. If, see, this is what's going to happen. If God's commandments, if God and our relationship with Him is not here impressed on our hearts. It's going to be tough for us to impress that on our kids. It's going to be forced. It's going to be programmatic. You understand what that means? 
We're only going to do this because it's a program in the church. It's not natural. It's not lived out. It's not real life discipleship. And then we're asking, well, why are my kids not here anymore? Because it's not lived out. Okay? So, that's the last thing that, that, that Moses tells the people of Israel. Grow in your love for God and then impress it on your kids. Okay? So, impress it on your kids. When we talk about impressing the Word of God on our children, what's the first thing that comes to mind? That comes to mind? There's a verse that comes to mind, right? Okay? I don't know if you guys can read my mind. I know Eva probably can because she's smiling there. Okay, one of the things that comes to mind is that verse, this verse right here in Proverbs. Do you guys remember that? Start children off on the way that they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. This is very wise. This is very good. But what did we see Moses say? Okay? We don't start here. Where do we start? We start with us. Okay? That's why I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon. He said, train up a child in the way he should go. So he quotes the first part of that verse, right? Says, train up a child in the way he should go. And then he says, but be sure to go that way yourself. See, in our efforts, right, to disciple our children, okay, we, uh, we, we do this thing where we, we do, we don't say it, but we do this. Do as I say, not as I do. Do you guys understand that? It's like we're here, like, you know, we're, 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 this is our kids and we're behind them all the time, telling them what to do. We become more like lecturers instead of an example to follow. Remember, our lips don't matter when it comes to this, you know, don't really, it, it takes second place. It's our life that matters when it, when it comes to our children actually learning from us. It's our life. Deuteronomy 6, 7b, 7 to 9. When we actually, when we live out our faith in front of our kids, this is what happens. And you know what? Dare I say, it's going to happen naturally. Right? Um, before we go there, I'm going to go back. The reason why we say that is because, remember the call that Jesus gave to people to follow him in Matthew 4.19? He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of people. When we see that verse, the first thing that we focus on is fishers of people. And we want to teach people. Oh, you got to be a fisher of people. You got to go out there and tell people to come to church. You got to go out there and tell people to be, uh, to, to put Jesus on in baptism. You know what I'm saying? They don't first, no, no, Jesus said, follow me first. Follow me. Before you can disciple anyone, you need to, you need to be a disciple yourself. And then what's going to happen is when you're following him, Jesus is going to do that work. I will make you, I will turn you into a fisher of people that I want you to be. You're going to naturally do it. Because out of the overflow of the love that you have for God, people are just going to see it. It's going to be natural. You don't have to fake it. You don't have to go, oh, oh, Jay, Jay and Miles are here, so I need to like tell people about Jesus. You don't have to do that. 
Oh, the elders are here. I got to tell the, the people about Jesus. No. Wherever you go, you're just, it's just going to overflow. Your light is just going to naturally shine. Because Jesus is making you do, he's doing this work in you. Follow me and I will do this for you. I will gonna, I'm going to make you fishers of people. So when this happens, what Moses says here happens. We're going to talk, tie, and write. I love how Moses like used just imperative verbs. Easy words to like for people, for, for, for the people of Israel and for us to remember. Impressing this on our children is so important that, that Moses gives us three things that we, that we need to, you know, that says we need to do. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. I love what Tyler said. It's just a conversation. When, when your mind and your heart is filled with your love for God, it's just going to come out. But it's not going to come out in a way that's making the other person feel guilty. You know what? Sometimes we're so toxic that we, you know, we, when our kids are not, you know, doing what they're supposed to do, they just go, yeah, so you're just going to do that again. It's not going to happen that way. We're going to actually talk to them in a loving manner. Talk to them whenever we are able to sit at home, around the house. We're going to tie them as symbols on your hands and, and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now, the Jewish community during that time, and even today, they saw this and they made it literal. You guys remember what we said earlier. They actually did this literally. Verse 7, they recite the Shema in the morning and at night with their families. That's what they did. Verse 8, they, I don't know if you've seen this, the tefillin, they wrapped it around the leather thing and then there's a box here, right? And that box, there's a scripture inside there and that's this. It's inside there. And they put it on their foreheads too, right? It's on there. There's a box there with this passage. That's the phylacteries. We see that in scripture. And verse 9, they actually have the mezuzah on their doorposts. I've seen that. Like my Jewish friends have that. They have this. It's, it's a piece of wood now that they have that they put it in there and there's passages there by their doorstep like there's this door and it's right there and it's always crooked it's not straight it's always crooked but old testament scholars the majority the pretty much all of them that i've read look at this and say this is not supposed to be literal this is supposed to be figurative to say that this is something that you do all the time out of the overflow of your love for god it has to permeate every aspect of your personal life, of your home life, and your community life. And when that happens, your children will see it. And it's going to be impressed on them. Yes, it's true. Like, we can talk to them about it. We should talk to them about it. And we can't just rely on other people to disciple our kids. Because this is our primary job. Not only as parents, but as Christians. And if you don't have kids today, this is not just for parents. This is for everybody. Like what Tyler said, this is, this, it takes a village to raise a child. It takes a village to grow disciples into maturity. It's not just my job or Miles's job or the elder's job or the deacon's job or the, or the, or the youth or teen minister's job. It's not just that. It's all of us. 
it takes all of us to do this. Now, when, when, back to what Moses is saying, when we understand our relationship with God and we're growing in our relationship with God, not as something that we just do as formal legalism. We're not here because, well, my parents expect me to be here today. Like we're actually rearing to go today. Our kids will see that. People will see that. Right? Because God promised. This is what he said. Well, do this and I'll do my part. That is our relationship with him. Um, Chuck Swindle said, each day of our lives, we make deposits in the memory banks of our children. You know, parenting could be very hard. But God does not expect us to be perfect. It's not perfection that he's after. You know what he's after? He's after our hearts. Wholeheartedness. That is what he's after. He's after our willingness for him to do this work in us. That is all we can do. There's this paradox in spiritual growth and in discipleship. Okay? We are fully responsible for our own spiritual growth. But we are also fully dependent on the grace and the power of God for us to grow. That is the whole paradox. Yes, we are responsible. But you know what? We're not alone in this. The power doesn't come from me. It comes from him. And You know, you're thinking, yeah, yeah, Jay is calling us to be perfect parents. I'm not calling you to be perfect parents. You're probably thinking, you know what? Oh, I, 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 it's my responsibility to save my kids. It's not your responsibility to save your kids. That is not what discipleship is about. When you share your faith with people, that's your job. Their job is to accept it. It's not your job to accept it, to accept it for them. Same thing with your kids. Right? We are here to till the soil of their heart so that it may be hard. It may be filled with uh, questions or doubts. It may be filled with thorns, like, you know, the parable of the sower. But it is our job as parents to till the soil of the heart so that when the word is preached to them, it will land. It will get planted in there and it will grow. That is his job for it to grow. Not ours. Ours is to share it with our children. So that our examples can really make the word of God attractive to our children. Because each day of our lives, we make deposits in memory banks of our children. I wish I could just take you home, all of you guys, to my house. We don't have a big house, but I wish I could take you all home. So you can see that I'm not perfect. So that you guys can see that I struggle with this. I know what to do, but there's, I'm impatient. I gotta tell you, one day, like, you know, I have kids that still go to school. We still drop them off to school, right? One day we were, we were pretty much late already, right? I don't, you know, we haven't been late this year. You know, we're growing in that regard, okay? But this time we were gonna be late. So I told my kids, get in there, but we have these garage door openers, like on our phones, it opens. So Linda opened it, but it took them time to get there. So it got, it locked again. So they were there. Like we were, I was expecting them to be in the car. So when I get out, get, get the other child ready, we're all be in the car. Like it saves time. But I got out. They're still there standing because the door had locked again. 
as, as a parent, what do you think I should have done? You're thinking, well, you should have just gone. What happened? Oh, uh, you know, the, the, the thing got locked again, so it has to be opened again. Oh, you should have told me. You should have come inside and told me that, you know, open the door again. You know, that, that's what I should have done. But I didn't do that. I blew up at them. What are you guys doing? You're supposed to... You just go in and tell me that it, it, didn't, it didn't open. Why are you standing... That's what I did. That's what I did. What did I just communicate to my children when it comes to the gospel of forgiveness? That when you're really upset, you don't have to forgive. You, have to, you can actually yell. You can actually make people feel like they're this small. No. But the thing is, here's the thing. There's forgiveness. And my kids, I, I, I ask for forgiveness. Like right off the bat, like I'm in the car. I told my kids, I'm sorry guys, I blew up. I should not have done that. I was able to do that because I, not because I was awesome, but because he is awesome. He taught me how to do that. And our example is so important for our kids to see so that they can understand the word of God before they even read it in the, in the pages of the Bible. They will have seen it through us. That is how we impress the love of God in our children's hearts. Now, Judges 2 verse 10. The people that heard Deuteronomy 6 when Moses preached it to them did not pass it on to their kids. We know this because in Judges 2 verse 10, when they've already, when one generation has passed in the land of Canaan, the promised land, this is what happened. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, and another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor, and another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what He had done for Israel. They did not pass it on to their kids. And so they did, you know, it continues, they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And God forsook them. That covenant wasn't there. Because they forsook the covenant. And as promised by God through Moses, if you forsake, if you forget, it's not going to go well with you because I'm going to leave you too. So, remember, um, in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 30 verse 15, Moses gives them this choice. Remember that? Miles talked about that last week. Moses, before he dies, he concludes Deuteronomy by saying, I set before you two ways. Life and prosperity or death and destruction. If you remember and obey, it's going to go well with you. If you forget and disobey and rebel, it will not go well with you. Now, they failed on what Moses was calling them to do. But today, brothers and sisters, we have this opportunity to make it right for our generation. It's not about you. It is not, it's not about your strength. It's not about your power. It's not about your will. It's about his strength. It's about his power. It's about his will. And it starts with you. Yes, we might have kids that are against God. But you know what? We need to really first show... <laughs> 
that we are consistent and faithful to God in our love for him. And so I leave you with this, um, with this call from, uh, from Joshua. Before he passed on, he did the exact same thing as Moses did. Before he died, he told the people of Israel, you have a choice. You can choose God or you can choose others. But choose God because that's what I'm doing. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord.